<laughs> Hello. Thank you for tuning in. You are listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. For network or show information, visit byteradio.me or call 843-808-0777. And now, the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Good day, everyone, and thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Today, my special guest is Rabbi Wayne Dasik, and we will be talking about his work and as well as his new book, Radical Loving, One God, One World, One People. For many of us, it feels as if our world is breaking apart. Long-held, comfortable beliefs are being shattered, and we face unprecedented questions and challenges. In his book, Rabbi Dasik presents a bold, visionary, spirit-filled blueprint for the redemption, transformation, and evolution of our emerging new world through radical loving and a day-to-day sense of the sacred. With age-old wisdom wrapped in contemporary garb, sweet, inspiring stories, keen insights, gentle guidance, radical loving is a call to renewal and to oneness a promise that earth can be eaten once again. Rabbi Wayne Dasik um, is, is, of course, a rabbi, writer, speaker, spiritual guide, and healer who teaches and counsels about faith and spirit, ethical values, life transformations, and evolving human consciousness. For more information, you can visit his website, which is rabbiwaynedasik.com. And with that, I'd like to welcome Rabbi Dasik to the show. Good day, sir. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. It's a very kind introduction. As I always say, uh, my father would, my late father would be very proud. My late mother wouldn't believe it, but that was very kind. <laughs> and I understand that you are celebrating your 10th anniversary on the air. So as we say, Mazel Tov, congratulations. Thank you, sir. Yeah, it's, it's been a very interesting journey. So, But um, I, I appreciate that very much. I enjoy it. I enjoy it. Um, get the chance, chance to meet with people like you, who my probably my my life path would probably never cross otherwise. So well, very kind, um, very kind of you. Well, let's just start with um, when, when I was reading through the book, um, I noticed that there was a there was an interesting story about the seed of how this book was born. So, can you tell us about the idea, how how and when that came about? I want to tell you something. That's a very interesting question because I've done many, many interviews about this book, Radical Loving, and that's the first time anybody ever asked me about that question. So good for you. Very nice. I like that. Um, so so um, I had always wanted to go to the Macy's Day Thanksgiving Parade. I live in San Diego. The parade's in New York. So one year, it happened to be 2016, um, uh, my wife and I, Ellen and I, went to New York for the Macy's Day Thanksgiving Parade. And we went to a kosher deli for a traditional Thanksgiving dinner. And uh, we decided to go about 3 in the afternoon when we thought no one would be there in between lunch and dinner. So we, we get there, and indeed uh, the restaurant was was empty. And um, we sat down, we looked at the menus, and came the waiter who uh, said, uh, Hello, my name is Mohammed, kosher deli. And um, I, I'll be your I'll be your server today. So we ordered whatever we ordered, and then he he came back and he pulled up a chair, and he sat down and started talking. 
I don't know why, but he did. <laughs> and this was just weeks after the 2016 presidential election here in America. Mm. And he was very, very concerned about the election that uh, Donald Trump had been elected president because uh, Trump had talked about the Muslim ban, and clearly Mohammed was a Muslim. And he talked about his family who had come here and had made a life for themselves and had been very successful in everything that they had attempted. And uh, his, he talked about his parents and his children and, and um, his brothers and sisters. And he, he kept saying to us, I don't understand. I don't understand why anybody is prejudiced against us, why anybody would not want us here. We want to be good Americans just like everybody else. We have a different religion than than a lot of you, but here I am, a Muslim and a, and a waiter in a uh, kosher Jewish <laughs> restaurant. Um, really? And he he spoke deeply, deeply from his heart. And mm. as he was speaking, it occurred to me that he he deserved an answer. And somehow... Now, I don't know how other writers write, but somehow I began to get a download and uh, of answers to his questions, of, of examples of what he was uh, asking and, and, and talking about. And I said, please, please hand me a piece of paper. So he, he took a menu, and I, I, I took a pen out of my pocket, and uh, I started writing. I started writing notes, writing notes, writing notes, and I ran out of that piece of paper. So he brought me another piece of paper, and I'm writing notes, writing notes. And in that, in that uh, 10, 15, 20 minutes that I was writing notes being downloaded, I, I think from God or from the heavens, um, the, this book was born. Now, it took a while to get out. It took a while to get out because, first of all, I had to find a publisher, and you know how publishing goes these days. And I was very fortunate to get a tremendous publisher. Monkfish Publishing is a tremendous spiritual uh, publisher. And then it, it had three delays because of COVID. So it, it, it took a while to get out, but I think that the timing is perfect because this is the message right now that the world needs to hear, that we need not to be divided. We need not to demonize the other. We need not to be uh, racists or sexists or misogynists or Islamophobics or anti-Semites, but we need to be uh, one. We need to be one humanity. We are all God's children. We are all one human family, and, and that's the recognition of oneness consciousness that the radical loving uh, uh, brings about. Yeah, I found that, you know, fascinating that there was um, this Muhammad working in the Jewish restaurant. I mean, it was, it was just, it was um, so symbolic of the, you know, um, the ability to, to recognize we are one. You know, that, that there was, you know, that any division is, is, is man-made and created. Um, so, yeah, I found that great. Now, um, in the book, um, you talk about God a lot, and um, you know the 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 book title, you know, um, one one God. Um, uh, can you tell us about? Um, I mean, this is this a religious book? I mean, I read it and I know you know it's not. So I'm, I'm asking the question. I know the answer to. It, but can you tell <laughs> us, the listeners, <laughs> that it's you know about the idea of this rabbi talking about one God, you know, covering all religions, really. 
Well, it, it's not so much a religious book as it is a spiritual book, and in many ways it's critical of religions. Uh, yes, I am a rabbi, and at the same time, for 17 years, I taught the only courses in Jewish studies at a Catholic university, the University of San Diego here in San Diego, cleverly <laughs> cleverly enough. Uh, and, um, and one of my closest and most intimate friends in the world is a Jesuit priest. Uh, the reality is that there is one God, one God who created us all. And that God says to us, I, I love you, I love you all, you are all my children, and I really don't care what you call me, uh, because in any family, someone could call the male parent dad or father or papa, some, and, and, and mom or mother or mommy mm-hmm. or mama. Mm-hmm. It's all the same person, and I'm all the same one God. I don't care what you call me, and I'm very happy with the different ways that you've chosen to approach me because oneness does not mean sameness. There are great beauty in the different pathways that you have created to, uh, to come to me. From God to God, the pathways are all different. Father O'Leary doesn't want me to be Catholic, and I don't want him to be Jewish. We respect and honor each other's pathways. But, God says, you are all my children. I love you all. I don't play favorites. And I hope you will love me, and most I hope you will love each other. And when you don't, you create great problems, and you create great strife between you. And so understand that what you call different religions are just different pathways to me that came about in different times and different places based on the loca- on your geography and your ethnicity and your culture and your politics and your social mores. And one is not better than the next. Wisdom is wisdom. All world teachers are world teachers. They belong to everybody. And so... Um, the Jewish scripture that I gave uh, is not better than the pagan understanding of the world. It is just an addition to it because human consciousness evolved. And Christian scripture, the New Testament, is not replacement theology. It's, it's evolving human consciousness, new wisdom for a new time. Same with the Koran. Same with all the Eastern religions. Same with all the Native American tri- tribal Uh, customs and stories it is all wisdom that i continually give to you through world teachers and please please listen to it all and know each other and love each other yeah yeah it's there's different ways up the mountain (laughs) exactly different view whichever whichever way you're going to take um you'll all reach the apex eventually um so in this particular book, I think it was toward the beginning of the book, you indicated that, you know, in writing this book, that there, um, you may have to put, um, a, that it was difficult to do because you may have had to put aside some of your beliefs or some, some of the things that you've been taught. So can you tell us, you know, was it, was it in fact difficult and, and kind of what are, can you give us an example of where maybe, um, what was included in the book was maybe um, an expanded version or vision of what you maybe had before. Well, I would just say that that every religion, including Judaism, which is mine, has a sense of triumphalism, has a sense of superiority. 
uh, if you will, the theme song of the world these days is my God's better than your God, but it's absolutely impossible <laughs> right. because there's only one God. And therefore, the pathways which we choose to to get from God to God, because that's our that's our human earthly journey, they may be different and they be, may be um, starkly different from each other. Sometimes we walk the path um, in silence and sometimes we walk it in, in singing and chanting. Sometimes it's a narrow path, sometimes it's wide, sometimes we decorate it uh, beautifully and sometimes it's stark. But the the notion is that one is not better than the next. One is just right for me at a particular time and place. So Judaism is right for me. It doesn't mean mm-hmm. that Judaism is necessarily right for you, just as whatever faith you are is right for you, but may not be right for me. The reality is that we are all spiritual beings. We are all God's children. I have to repeat that over and over again. We are all God's children. We are all one human family. And the way we choose to approach God is um, is maybe different, but one is not better than the rest. And so while, while uh, that may be difficult for some uh, to uh, understand, and it was difficult for me to understand at a certain point in my life, this is a highly spiritual book. It's not a religious book. Yeah. Um, and, the, you know, the one thing that I, when I um, think about, um, you know, religion and, and and the differences, quite often I think that, um, like, when, when an individual passes on to whatever comes afterwards, that they're going to be greeted, in a way, with what whatever is comfortable for them, whichever framework, you know, they lived that can kind of ease them into the, into the next, whatever, whatever, you know, whatever exists beyond. So, so if it's, you know, if someone was Christian, they may, you know, be greeted by someone of some icons in, in that particular religion or, or Jewish. I mean, it, it seems to me that, um, the framework of religion is um, creates a um, an idea for us to be able to to live by values, you know, and, and that it's um, different for each individual. Well, the values are much the, the values to live by are much the same, and every every uh, faith community uh, on this earth has some sort of of version of the golden rule. Um, and what you are talking about here in terms of being greeted on the other side, if you will, uh, the underlying principle is that the soul is eternal. The soul lives forever and ever and ever in eternity. And how we perceive that soul being with God or being on earth in, in body and then returning to God um, and what happens to to that soul after that return those are all different approaches, um, different belief systems from these different religions that have been created by human beings, uh, and and uh, that's perfectly fine because we can all have, as I say, uh, oneness is not sameness, but mm-hmm. the one underlying principle is that the soul is eternal. Yeah, yeah. Um, now. In the book, it's you know we, we go through and, and it seems like 
God is talking to us through you. Um, and, and like you mentioned when you were talking with Muhammad, um, you know, that the information came to you as like a download. Um, so can you talk a little bit about the idea of God talking to us or through us and, and does it, I mean, does it, you know, for, for you, does it come through with a, a Jewish bent, you know, um, you know, you know what I'm saying? Or you know, so for, for other people, is it, you know, based on their, um, just their belief structure? Well, anybody who has uh, read the Bible and that, or the Quran or any of the other uh, sacred texts knows that God speaks to us. I always tell people that prayer, for example, has two parts. We all, we, know, we all know about the first part. The first part is that we talk to God. The second part is that God talks to us, and we have to listen, and we have to be aware, and we have to be aware that God is um, is talking through us or envisioning through us or dreaming through us. So when it says, when the Bible says, God spoke to Moses, saying, or God spoke to Isaiah or Ezekiel or Jesus or Mohammed, it is the download from God speaking to those people, but it's not just the people whom we think uh, are special because their their revelation got written down in some text. God speaks to each of us all the time, all the time, and we just have to be aware. We are all prophets. A prophet is someone who receives a message from God and gives out that message either simply to him or herself or to his or her family or to the whole world. A prophet is not a soothsayer or a fortune teller. A prophet is a messenger of God, and we are all prophets. So how would one discern God talking to them versus the, the internal, our internal voice, you know, well, or, or just our... Mm-hmm. Well, the internal voice it can be God. Uh, where does the okay. internal voice come from? Where does the mind come from? Where does the heart come from? Where does the soul come from? It all comes from God. So the only difference is to be aware that God's will is God's will. As the uh, Lord's Prayer in Christianity says, Thy will be done, thy will be done. Um, and uh, Abraham Lincoln said, I hope that my will is God's will. Uh, we can't confuse our own proclivities, our own desires, our own failings and foibles, or our own needs um, with uh, with what God tells us. God would never, ever, ever give us anything that would harm us. God would never say to us, you are better than the next one. God would never say to us, I love you more than I love somebody else. Uh, we have to understand the purity of God's messages to us and not get confused with our own personal desires. Okay. And I can understand that. And, you know, that makes sense. So when we hear something that is not uplifting, that that's kind of detrimental to our, um, our way of thinking, our life, that, um, that would not be God um, given. So that would be basically we're talking about just the the loving aspect of life, I guess. 
Well, there may be bad news too. Life is life is okay. full. Life is uh, totally full, okay. and there's the good, okay. the bad, the, the ugly, the evil. Right. The, um, God is the everything of the everything. So everything, everything, everything is uh, with God and of God, and um, and, and you know uh, uh, this desk that I'm sitting at. Um, scientists would call it slowly, uh, more slowly moving molecules. We would call it God because God is in everything. Uh, God is, uh, and we are of God. So God is in us. Uh, sometimes the news is not good news, and it's a question of what we do with it and how we handle it. Um, no one ever promised us a life without pain, without hurt, without human emotions uh, of great joy or great uh, sadness and 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 uh, searing uh, grief. Uh, it's a question of of how we handle what we're given. Yeah. Okay. Um, so now, radical loving. <laughs> let's let's talk a little bit about that. Uh, what's radical? What what when does loving move into radical loving? Well, Radical Loving, uh, the, the, the title of this book, is a number of things. It's the reality uh, of the one God who loves us uh, with the greatest love, with eternal love. We forget. I mean, God is everywhere. God God is everywhere. They here, there, up, down, everywhere. And we just have to be constantly aware. It's a matter of our consciousness. So Radical Loving says, be aware. Be aware that God is right here. Radical Loving is also meaning that the face of God, the beingness of God, is reflected in every human being. If you look into the mirror, basically what you see is the face of God. And if you look into another human being, you see the face of God, just as that other human being sees the face of God in you. And the only way to respond to seeing the face of God cannot possibly be with anger or hatred or disdain the only way to respond to the face of god is with love and so radical loving means treating every every human being uh as if we are seeing the face of god and so therefore if you're standing in line at the bank and the teller is taking forever or you're in a convenience store and the teenage clerk can't make a change for a dollar without using a calculator or somebody cuts you off in traffic. Instead of pounding the steering wheel or getting all steamy in line, realize that that person is a reflection of God and maybe having a bad day or doesn't know as much as you do or all kinds of other reasons, but the only response is to respond with love. The third the third thing is to make the life of another human being as precious to us as our own. Each human being is a child of God. Each human being is a precious, precious being here on earth. And so uh, we treat each, each other as precious children of God. And radical loving is to therefore be in constant and extreme kindness and generosity of spirit to give our hearts and our hands to repair and rejuvenate the world and to respond to hatred and anger and love with compassion and deep compassion and intense love that's radical loving yeah yeah you know particularly the idea of responding to hatred and anger um and fear um with love is is something that um 
the, I mean, right now, I think the, it seems that um, right now the world is um, showing um, a lot of that um, evil side um, of life, um, but um, hate seems to be re- returned with hate. You know what I mean? It seems that it's um, that uh, any of the um, like with fear, the idea of, of, of creating fear, you know, in individuals to me is just it, it just drives me crazy. I don't understand. <laughs> you know, I don't understand why we are having so much of this now do you do you feel that you know i mean we've had uh you know this particular covid period and you mentioned it by the way in, in your um the afterward in your book you really did a wonderful job of covering what the, the effect that covid 19 had on on humanity Thank um but, but but do you do you think that um uh in this world that we're we're living in right now that um it just seems that there's an, a heightened sense of all those things that you listed. You listed in the in the evil, you know, as far as uh, hatred, uh, even even our um, negligence to the planet Earth. You know, um, all, all of those things are are kind of heightened right now. It seems to me. Um, is that just my kind of uh, my perception, or do, do you think that in fact that is the case? And and is there a reason for that? Robert, you're absolutely 100% right, 100% right. And um, words, you know, have great power. Words have the power to uh, to elevate the human spirit or to crush the human spirit. And I have to say, very sadly, that for the past four years, things have changed a little bit in the last few months, but for the last four years, words that have come from the leadership of this country have brought about this fear and this hatred and this demonizing and this division. Uh, why do why do people talk that way? Why are people like that? Because we reflect on and transfer to the other our own lack. What we don't have within us, we uh, claim that the other has, and therefore we demonize the other. And so if I'm not kind, if I'm not compassionate, if I'm not loving, then I say, you must not be kind or compassionate or loving. And I uh, demonize you by saying, I don't have a job because you took my job. I don't have a place in, um, in college because you took my college admission. I don't have as much money as I should have because you're making a better salary than I am. I don't have as much power as I should have because you have power in your in your life. So it's the need for power and prestige and greed and arrogance and hubris that make people behave in that way. And sometimes, God forbid, but it's true, there's a lack of conscience. Some human beings simply have a lack of conscience. And so when, when we create that, that atmosphere and we demonize the other and we, um, we make the other the enemy, then we get the kind of world that we've had in the last uh, number of years. And tacit permission is given 
for the people who might have felt that way, uh, but who have been underground to come up from out of their under their rocks and um, and um, take on that kind of that kind of theories yeah. and uh, behaviors as well. So when when we say uh, the the people amongst us, uh, people of color and people of different religions and people of different ethnic backgrounds, when we say that they are all that all human beings are equal and and we strive for equality and justice and righteousness and goodness, that becomes the atmosphere in which we live. And and uh, when we say the opposite, that becomes the atmosphere in which we live. And so in the last uh, number of months, since the new president has changed the rhetoric, has changed the mm-hmm. rhetoric, at least we are uh, beginning to understand uh, the, 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 power of the rhetoric of the past president and um, how how harmful it was to our country and to our sense of, of well-being yeah it's um i, I i'm just um i'm amazed I, I i think a lot of the things that we learned through this last year and a half i mean you know over the four years but in particular the last year and a half you know when it comes to um, rhetoric, um, un- understanding um, uh, you know, when it came to uh, treatment of, of, of COVID and, and prevention and the role of science versus, you know, leadership. Um, it, was, it just seemed that it was a period that we have seen, we have been shown a lot more um, things that, that we wouldn't have otherwise seen. You know that that it's um, and so. I mean, to me, I'm wondering if, if we're going to be able to um, reverse some of the damage that's been done. Because it, you know, right now, I mean, we're getting we're only a few months into the, the new rhetoric and that kind of thing. But um, there's, a, um, you know, it just seems that there's a, a residue that is kind of still hanging around. Yes. Well. I, I, I uh, wrote in the afterward, which we were so kindly kindly pointed out, that um, I wrote this book as aspirational. This is what could happen. This is how we can be um, the best that we can be. Uh, and all of a sudden, this COVID put it right in our face. It wasn't mm-hmm. it wasn't theoretical or philosophical anymore or aspirational anymore. Here it was. We had the choices to make, so we could choose to defend individual human rights and say, I have a right not to wear a mask. I have a right to not socially distance. I have a right to go wherever I want. Or we could say we have to choose the, the common good, the highest good, the greatest good, and if the science tells us that the greatest good is to wear masks and to socially distance and to get vaccinated when the vaccinations became available, then I have to choose for the highest good, the common good, the greatest good, not for my own individual needs. And there's a big difference. Now, people talk about reopening. Reopening is very important because um, – because we have to restart the economy and because kids need to go back to school. But 
those are good reasons for reopening. When people demanded that we reopen so that they could go to the beach or go to a bar and dance, that's not such a good reason. That's a uh, personal, uh, selfish reason. So here we are. Here we are, right smack in our face. Are we going to be selfish individuals, or are we going to strive for the common good? Yeah. Yeah, it was. I, I, I have just. Um, I have found it. Uh, it. It just brought to light. I mean, even in the circle of people that I have, I, I was surprised at how many were in the. You know, this is my right. I don't care what about your rights. You know that it doesn't matter to me. Um, you know, even even if it. Uh, you know, especially at the height of the. the uh, COVID epidemic or uh, pandemic, but um, it's crazy. Well, we're actually halfway through the the show, um, Rabbi Dasek. So I want to take just a quick break, and I do want to invite listeners. If you would like to call in and ask any questions, you can call in at six one nine seven eight nine four three five nine. And for those listening live in the chat room, if you have any questions for Rabbi Dasek, please feel free to post them there. Um, and then when we come back from break, um, you have a whole chapter in your book dedicated to awesome holiness, and what you call is a, a twin of radical loving. So I want to talk about that. I like anything awesome. So I want to talk about that when we come back, okay? Sure. <laughs> okay. okay, everyone stay tuned. We'll be right back after this brief break. Hello, this is Robert Sharp. I want to thank you for joining us and hope that you are enjoying today's show. Just a reminder that we have a wealth of information and resources available on our website, byteradio.me. There is a calendar of upcoming shows along with an archive link that will give you access to more than 1,400 shows we have had over the past nine years. Also on the site is a link to the products and services we provide, books, photography, a wellness store, and self-publishing assistance. Our show is a free podcast on iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn. And you can subscribe for free on any of those platforms by using the links on our website homepage. We are on many social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, etc. And we also have buttons to those platforms at the top of our homepage. Our website ByteRadio.me has much for you to explore and enjoy. I also very much appreciate you supporting our guests, and especially today's guest. And now, back to the show. Okay, everyone, thank you for staying with us. Again, today my special guest is Rabbi Wayne Dasik, and we are talking about his new book, Radical Loving, One God, One World, One People. And again, you can find out more by visiting his website, which is RabbiWayneDosick.com. That's Rabbi Wayne and then D-O-S-I-C-K.com. Okay, with that, we're back, Rabbi. Well, well, thank you. I'm, I'm delighted to be back. And I, I want uh, everyone to know that uh, pretty soon, within a couple of weeks, uh, the new website for this book itself will be up which is called RadicalLovingBook.com, RadicalLovingBook.com. And uh, along with the book itself, on the website, we will have 21 chants, 21 singing chants 
that we've made to go along with the book, all in English. And um, uh, chanting brings us deep into our psyches and is a real direct channel to being with God. And so you can, uh, three or four or five of them will be up there, as we say, uh, the old South Side of Chicago where I grew up, you can listen to them free for nothing, or you can uh, buy a download or a hard, even a hard copy CD for those who use, uh, still use CDs. <clears throat> so that will be there, RadicalLovingBook.com. Great, and I'll be sure to add that to the show page so that people who listen to the show in the archives will be able to, to recognize that too. All right. So, awesome holiness. <laughs> Tell us a little, bit, a little bit about that. Well, awesome holiness is, again, being awareness, being aware of the total here-ness, the presence of God in our everyday world. What does that mean? It means that that God is loving and compassionate and caring and kind and therefore our every word and deed uh, has to reflect the word of God. I always ask people, what would it be if your every word and deed and action, every even your every thought, were recorded on a constantly running film or tape and that were that film or tape of your day today were going to be played as the six o'clock news on your local television station, and you had to call your parents or your children or your grandchildren <laughs> and say, "I'm going to be on TV. Watch me." Would you be proud, or would you be embarrassed? That can be that can be for us a really a measure, a simple a simple measure of our of our uh, beings. And um, so to be like God in every word and every deed. Awesome holiness is also meeting the needs of the community. And meeting the needs of the community means that we put into action the things that we've been talking about theoretically. So I'll just give you a couple of examples. Um, when my kids were little, we took the teaching of an ancient sage whose teaching was if he went to the market to buy one piece of meat or one bunch of vegetables, he would buy two, one for himself and one for the hungry in his neighborhood. So when my kids were little, we translated that into modern terms, and every time we went to the supermarket, we would buy one extra item of non-perishable food, a can of tuna fish, a box of mac and cheese, a box of cereal, a jar of peanut butter, wouldn't even uh, put it in, take it into the house, put it in the brown paper sack in the trunk of the car. And when we had collected two or three sacks, we would take it to the local food pantry. Well, one day I'm in the store with my uh, younger son, who was at that time five or six, and I took a box of Cheerios off the shelf, and I said to him, hey, son, how about this? a box of cereal as our food gift for this week. And in the righteous indignation of his youth, which he has kept into adulthood, um, he took it out of my hands, put it back on the shelf, reached up into uh, on his tippy toes to another shelf, took another box of cereal, and put it and held it out to me. And he said, this will be our food gift this week. And I said to him, what's the difference? And he said, look, Dad, there are hungry kids out there, too, and kids like Cheerios, kids like sugar-frosted flakes better than we like Cheerios. 
Well, in a split second, that five-year-old mm-hmm. taught me not to not to think of a category of people: the hungry, the needy, the uh, poor. But he taught me to see the face of a child whom we were helping to feed, who likes one kind of cereal better than another kind of cereal. And so, when we Lots of people put together Thanksgiving baskets to give to the hungry in the community. Well, if somebody wants a turkey and stuffing and yams, maybe we should think of putting in a bottle of sparkling apple cider or a bag of colored jelly beans or a nicely decorated cake because that person wants to celebrate as as well as we do and uh, deserves Mm. that kind of celebration. Uh, we give away a pair of pants or a shirt or a blouse or a suit that no longer is in fashion or, in my case, no longer fits. And <laughs> if uh, if somebody needs a pair of pants, he probably, she probably needs a pair of socks. And no one ever thinks to give away a pair of socks. So give away a pair of socks, too. Or if you don't want to give away your old socks, for a few bucks, go out and buy another pair of socks and put it in the pile of clothes that you're giving. And give away things that we take for granted that that um, we have and others don't. A, a tube of toothpaste, a, um, a toothbrush, a bar of soap, feminine hygiene supplies. Um, those things are needed and, and, and people don't have them. And you know when you go to a hotel, the hotel doesn't want you to steal the towels. But the hotel is perfectly happy if you take the little bottles of shampoo and conditioner and so on that they put out there Mm -hmm. for you to take. Take them. Collect three, four, five from your vacation and take them down to the local shelter because one of those little bottles of shampoo, which you'll never use because you use a designer shampoo, uh, one of those little bottles is two or three head washes for somebody who doesn't have any shampoo. So... Those are the kinds of things that we do when we meet the needs of a community. And then we learn to meet the needs of individual human beings through meeting, making, through, sorry, meeting the needs of the whole, the, the macro. We learn the micro as well. So I teach F-A-N-A-M-I, find a need and meet it. What does that mean? If, for example, somebody, God forbid, dies and um, you come to the mourner and you say, Oh, I feel so terrible for you. So I express my sympathies, my condolences, and anything you need, anything you want, uh, whatever you need, just let me know. I'm here for you. Well, you know, the truth is very few people ever respond and say, here's what I need. Would you please do this for me? Mm-hmm. Back in 1996, it was a long time ago already, but my house burned to the ground in a Southern California wildfire. We lost everything we own. Ellen and I lost absolutely everything mm-hmm. we own. And so a man came to me, one of the kindest, gentlest, sweetest, and wealthiest men I knew. And he said, Rabbi, I feel so terrible for you. I want you to know what's mine is yours. Anything you want, just ask me. Well, what was I going to say? Buy me dinner, <laughs> buy me a suit, build me a house? I was embarrassed. I didn't know what to say. But right. F-A-N-A-M-I, find the need and meet it, it means that, if so, again, if somebody, God forbid, dies, you say to the mourner, I understand your Uncle Charlie is coming in for the funeral. Tell me when his plane is. I'll go down to the airport and meet him. Or Mm. is your good suit at the cleaners? I'll go pick it up for you. Or don't worry about the kids tonight. I'll take them out for pizza and a movie. 
That's finding a need and meeting it on an individual basis. That's meeting the needs of the community. So the combination of radical loving and awesome holiness, uh, which I, you're correct, I call twins in the book, is opening our hearts and our souls to oneness consciousness, uh, knowing that we are all one, and it is namaste. The God in me sees the God in you. There is one God. There is one world. There is one people. Yeah, very much. Well, that that uh, lesson from your son is is quite um, wonderful. You know, I mean, it's uh, you know so often when you know we get to the point of of donating our um, goods or time um, that we uh, rarely look at it through the eyes of the person receiving, right. you know, um, and, um, and that's so important. And, and I, I loved your idea of, of that, you know, sparkling water. So the idea of um, gifting a celebration, you know, for someone who, you know, may be in need of one, you know, that it's, a, um, to me, that's a, a great way to, because those are things that people most often, if they're in need, won't do for themselves. Um, you know, they'll look at it as extravagant or not needed or unnecessary. You know, but, um, but in fact, that celebratory side of life it needs as much attention as, as the needs. Exactly. You're absolutely mm-hmm. right, Robert. Thank you. Well, uh, so now when it comes to... Um, you know the idea of um, you know radical loving and awesome holiness. Um, the idea you gave us a few examples of how we can um, incorporate it. You know through that that awareness. Is there anything else that you can um, give us as uh, ideas for simple ideas to implement um, some of the things that you talk about in the book as far as that radical loving well here's the way of seeing the face of another human being when i was a kid i grew up in a neighborhood in the south side of chicago which in the late 40s was a polish catholic steelworkers neighborhood by the middle 60s it was a maybe a third jewish neighborhood and by the by 1970 it was a totally black neighborhood but when i was a kid uh, we all played on the playground together all the kids and then we went to public school, and the Catholic kids went to the local parish school, St. Mary Magdalene. And by the time I was seven or eight or nine, the kids I used to play with on the um, playground either were not speaking to me or were beating me up, literally beating me up, because they had learned from their priests and nuns that I, Wayne Dosick, had personally killed their Lord. Mm-hmm. Now, in high school, a few years later, uh, during I went to one of those high schools that looked like a prison, you know, red brick. Oh, <laughs> and, oh yeah. And the old, I had one too. Yeah, and the yeah. five floors, and you had to go between the first floor gym and the fifth floor study hall in four minutes, right? Um, right. Yeah. Lovely experiences in high schools in those days. So during one of those passing between classes period, a girl runs up to me and she says, "Wayne, Wayne, Wayne, I forgive you. I forgive you." Now I imagine there were some girls in that high school who had reason to forgive me for something, but this was not one of them. So I said, "Bonnie, what what's up? What's happening?" She said, "I just heard on the radio that the Pope said we could forgive the Jews for killing Christ. So I forgive you for killing Christ." 
I said, what are you talking about? That was 2,000 years ago. I wasn't there. I didn't know him. He was a nice Jewish boy who made good. And besides that, the Romans killed Christ, not the Jews. She said, no, no, no. I heard on the radio. The Pope said, wow. this was Vatican II. This was the early 60s. Pope John Twenty-Third, that twinkle-eyed Pope, who uh, in Vatican II um, excused the Jews from killing Christ. So fast forward um, a few decades, and I'm a rabbi and a faculty of a Catholic university uh, teaching the only courses in Jewish studies in the Department of Religion. And one of my closest, uh, deepest friends is a Jesuit priest. And um, I'm invited to preach from the pulpit of the Immaculata standing next to a statue of Jesus. I mean, have we come a far way or what? So... Uh, Father O'Leary and I, you know, we hung out together. We like each other. We're, uh, he's moved back to his province in Milwaukee since then. But um, we, we we hung out. We had lunch in the in the, uh, the school cafeteria, and we were seen walking on campus together. And we were known as the stodgy radicals because we were both traditionalists in our own religion and yet pretty pretty radical in our thinking. So one day we're walking on campus, and this young man runs up to us. He said, Father, Father, Rabbi, Rabbi, could I talk to you? Sure, of course. He said, I want you to know that I, I, I'm a junior here at uh, USD, and I came to college. I had never met a Jew before. And Father O'Leary says, you know, I was 21 years old before I had ever met a Jew. Huh? Interesting. Wow. And uh, this young man said, and truth be told, I was pretty prejudiced against uh, Jews when I came here. But I see the two of you hanging out together all the time and coming to each other's classes and telling stories and teaching. And uh, I went to Mass uh, pretty often, and Father O'Leary came to my high holiday services. I was going to let him take up for the collection because priests always do better than rabbis, right? Um, <laughs> thank you. Uh, and um, he said, the two of you are a living sermon. And if you can be friends, I guess I ought to meet some Jewish people and become friends. Ah. Mm. So it is, in the end, one-to-one individual personal relationships. We can't expect the whole world to change if we don't change. We can't expect the whole world to be loving if we're not loving. We can't expect the whole world to be kind and compassionate if we're not kind and compassionate. And we do that by meeting each other, by working with each other, by hanging out with each other, by understanding each other. And now when there are anti-Semitic attacks, which are going on right now, God forbid, but the the rise of anti-Semitism in America is terrible these days based on that kind of rhetoric that we were talking about earlier. Uh, Then Father O'Leary and my other colleagues on the uh, the Catholic men and women on that faculty come to my defense, come to our defense, because they know me, and they know right. what I stand for, and they know uh, that anti-Semitism is wrong, not only in theory, but in practice as well. Yeah. So, do you feel that um, that one-on-one person-to-person um, exchange um, is the key to changing on a macro level? I mean, because if, if you look at your book, you know, a lot of things in your book are things that, you know, are, are well, even on the introduction, you know, 
age-old wisdom kind of um, repackaged, you know, to be more contemporary. And, and so do you feel that um, even though it is age-old wisdom, that there is still uh, a possibility of creating that change um, one at if time? I, if I didn't think there was a possibility, then I wouldn't have written the book. Uh, mm-hmm. I, uh, I'm a great optimist. And and I also know that we have no choice. We have no choice anymore mm-hmm. because the world has become a tiny village. You referred to it a little earlier um, about what is happening to our planet. And right. we know we know mm-hmm. very well that smoke belching out of a chimney in Pittsburgh uh, pollutes the air in Paris. And we know that if somebody throws a um, throws a a plastic bottle into a uh, into the ocean in Tokyo. Some whale is going to eat it on the way to migrating to California, and we're going to have plastic yeah. bottles in 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 our whales and our dolphins. So the whole world is a tiny village, and technology has certainly made that true. We know what's going on everywhere. We know, God forbid, about the genocide that goes on in in uh, in places, and so. Um, we don't have much time left. We really don't. And we have to learn to live together in lest we perish together. Because that's what it's become. That's, what, that's what's at stake. It used to be if you wanted to have a war, say you'd have a war and you fought over this piece of land or this was going into this kingdom's treasury or the prestige of this king or queen. Not anymore. No, nothing's localized anymore. It's the whole world. So we we either have to learn to live together or we will perish together. Yeah, yeah, I I believe that to be true, and you know, I'm just hoping that we learn to live together quickly. And Robert, um, the reason but, that I wrote this book is to say all everything. You know, I've been called naive. I've been called idealistic. Uh, mm-hmm. I've been called shouting into the wind. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a great there's a great story about a Native American tribe that was well known for its ability to bring rain with its rain dances, and uh, the other tribes weren't doing it anywhere near as well. They didn't they danced, but they didn't bring rain. And so somebody finally came to this chief and said, "Why is it? How is it that the other Native American tribes do rain dances and rain doesn't come, and your tribe does rain dances and the rains come?" And the chief looked at him and said, we keep dancing until it rains. <laughs> well, I'm going to keep shouting until people <laughs> listen. I'm going to be, even if no one listens, I'll be the prophet listening to my own voice. I'll be the messenger listening to my own voice. Because, call me naive, call me idealistic, everything that we've tried before hasn't worked. All it's mm-hmm. done is bring us pain and suffering and put the finest of our young men and women into the cemeteries of our countries we have no choice now we have no choice yeah. it's time to save this world and we save this world through nothing that's happened before but we save this world yeah. through the recognition that radical loving and awesome holiness are the ways to do it yeah, absolutely. Well, we're down toward the end of the show, so it has really been a wonderful conversation. So what do you hope that the reader will take away from reading Radical Loving? Maybe a change to being more loving? 
Absolutely. And here's the formula. Here's the blueprint. Here's the design um, in simple ways. I mean, when I was talking about um, giving away a pair of uh, uh, socks or picking a, a particular mm-hmm. kind of cereal, uh, there are all kinds of other uh, examples in, in chapters later in the book about how we can do this. We can reframe our lives. You know, you can be on a walk with your child or grandchild, and the kid says to you, aha, what a beautiful tree that is. And you can say, yes, I remember from my uh, science class in fifth grade that this uh, the shape of that bark and the shape of that leaf means that it's an oak tree. Or you can say, yes, you're right, and what a gorgeous gift God has given us. What a magnificent part of God's creation this tree is with its strong bark that we can lean against and its leaves that give us shade and its fruit that gives us food. We can reframe and be aware of God in our lives in every single moment. We can reframe and be aware of the face of God in every human being. That's our hope. That's our promise. That is namaste, the God in me, recognizing and seeing the God in you. Yeah, exactly. And being grateful. <laughs> and being grateful. This is and being grateful. so important. Yeah, yeah. Well, well uh, Rabbi Dasik, this has really been a treat. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today. Well, thank you for inviting me. And again, muzzle tough congratulations on your program. I have my own program on healthylife.net. I'm in my 10th or 12th year. I only do it once a month now. I used to do it once a week. I know how difficult it is and what a grind that you go through to produce this show and to host it all the time. So congratulations. It's a tremendous achievement, Robert. Thank you. Thank you. And I, I also noticed on the Internet your, your um, videos, too, so people can go check those out, too. Those are really uh, interesting to watch as well. So well, we are, thank we are you very a, much. We're having a big publication party um, this uh, week, and it, it, uh, it will be up on Rabbi Wayne Dasik YouTube channel by the middle of next week, and you can go and watch that. We have uh, visionaries from all over the world coming to talk about this book, so check it out. Rabbi Wayne Dasik YouTube channel. Thank you very much, sir. You, you have thank a really you. good Thank day. you. You're very welcome. Again, everyone, today my special guest has been uh, Rabbi Wayne Dasik. We've been talking about his book called Loving, One God, One World, One People. Again, you can uh, find out more by visiting his website, which is uh, RabbiWayneDasik.com. And as he said also that um, in the coming days or weeks that you'll be able to also access the book, um, RadicalLovingBook, Com and, and he mentioned some um, chanting and other um, wonderful information there. So uh, check that out. And everyone, I want to thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. And until we meet again, thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Remember, our show is available as a free podcast from Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio. To follow our show, visit our homepage at byteradio.me and select the platform you use most. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at ByteRadioMe. Until we meet again, remember to be a bright light by bringing inspiration to your world and to the lives of those you touch.
Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.